You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey everyone, this week we're giving away a six-month subscription to leadquizzes.com valued at $300. Leadquizzes helps you create interactive lead generation quizzes to help you grow your email list. This is the same software I use to generate over 20,000 leads for my business in 2017. For a chance to win, subscribe to the podcast, then take a snapshot or picture showing your subscribe and text it to 716-218-8981 or email it to growthexperts at yahoo.com. Now let's get back to the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Keenan, and he is the CEO of A Sales Guy Inc., which is a sales training and consulting firm that he started back in 2011. From inbound to outbound to account based marketing to content marketing, from inside sales to outside sales, and more, Keenan has helped companies increase sales by as much as 300% during his career. He's a well known keynote speaker and the author of not taught what it takes to be successful in the 21st century that nobody teaches you. Welcome to the show, Keenan. Thanks, man. Thanks. Hey, really appreciate you taking the time to jump on here. We met on LinkedIn. You know, I was kind of following you and came across some of your video content. Love to follow you on LinkedIn. So I highly suggest anybody who's who after hearing this is interested in getting more, make sure you follow him on LinkedIn. He does some, does some really great videos and uh, has some great content. So I'm excited for that. We're going to dive into, today we're going to talk about the number one reason why your clients are not buying. But before we dive into that, before we dig into that, I'm going to have Keenan kind of fill in the blanks a little bit, give us a quick backstory, and then we'll get right into it. Take it over, my friend. I mean, it's, you know, look, sometimes people like to make rocket science out of, you know, freaking scribbles. And it's, it's pretty simple. But the exception of exposure, exposure is a different part of this equation. People don't buy because there's just no value. You don't provide enough value for the cost. And the cost always isn't the dollars and cents. It's sometimes the amount of effort it takes. You know, it may be worth it if they're in the aisle, but they're not going to get in their car and go drive there to get it. And they're not going to go out of their way. They're not going to tell friends. They're not going to put in the effort. So they're not going to deal with a salesperson who calls them up and bugs them. So really growth is 100% attached, 100% attached to the value your product and service provides. And I just don't think we spend enough time focused on that value. Okay. So before we dive into that, because I really want to get into that, and I know you've got a lot to share there. Can you give a brief backstory how you started and got into you know this consulting and sales training business? Just rewind it just a little bit, and then we'll dive into that if you wouldn't mind. Oh, well, I mean, I, look, I've been running sales teams since the 90s, right? I got into sales in the early 90s, no, early 90s, mid 90s, then got my first sales management job in the late 90s. And then my sales career just took off my leadership career. I ran sales organizations for Fortune 500 and for, you know, for startups and for small and medium sized business. Because my career went so fast, I went from basically modeling in, this, in Miami in 1996 to running a $300 million line of business with 125 salespeople nationwide in less than four years. And so once I left that job, I had a hard time competing on a resume, 
because there was no LinkedIn yet, right? This is like 2000, 2001. There was no LinkedIn yet. So I had a hard time competing on the resume because anybody who had that level of experience and expertise was 40, 45, 50 years old. And at the time, I think I was 32, 33. So, and I'd only had four years of quote unquote experience. So in 2009, frustrated with trying to compete with people who were a lot older than me, et cetera, I just said, screw this. And I started a blog. And I started blogging every single day for two years about how you run sales teams, how you manage accounts, how you do outbound. I mean, the whole nine yards. And 712 posts later, people started reaching out and saying, I saw this post on this. Can you help me? Started being named one of the top sales blogs, sales and marketing blogs on the web and top sales influencer. And it just, everybody started paying attention. And I decided, well, wait, uh, maybe I should make this a uh, career. So when someone reached out and said, do you do consulting? I said, yes. Threw them a number. They said, fine. I was like, whoa. So I left my job, turned around and said, hey, I'm now a sales guy consulting instead of a sales guy blog. And it just took off from there. Wow. Interesting. So you were working in a full-time career in sales and sales management, and you started this part-time blog just as a way to kind of put yourself out there and take these thoughts out of your head that are constantly going through your head. You put them out there. Overnight success, two years later, people finally started paying attention. The internet kind of came to its own blogging and SEO and, and social media probably played in there as well. And then all of a sudden, you got your first consulting gig. So it's so funny because that happens a lot, right? I mean, that happens all the time in business. I was deliberate, Dennis. I didn't just want to get the thoughts out of my head. I was very deliberate. My thought was, if I can get a thousand people to read this blog or read it regularly, that if I ever needed another job, I didn't have to compete with the resume. All I would have to do is do a blog post that said, hey, I'm looking for a new gig. I've decided to make changes. And I'd have a thousand people who've been reading my stuff, liked what I said, valued my perspective, who would either say, hey, we want you, or I know someone you need to talk to, or so they'd say, hey, you need to talk to this guy. He's a badass and go talk to him. That was Uh, the whole purpose. Perfect. That was it. So you were digging your well before you were thirsty, which is awesome. And then that translated obviously into your consulting business. Great. Thank you for filling in the blanks there. So, you know, you started this consulting business, but you hadn't been running a consulting business prior to that. You'd been running a sales and sales management team. So I'm sure you learned a lot along the way about entrepreneurship and in delivering and product value and all the things we're going to talk about today. But let me ask you this, in your early day, well, not so much the early days, because we want to jump forward, like today, getting a little micro into your, you know, a sales guy consulting business. What's the number one strategy that you use for getting new clients today? Because we have a lot of consultants and coaches probably listening in that would love to hear how you're growing so quickly and how your business is flourishing. First, okay, with consulting, you have to have a methodology and approach. I believe that firmly. And I just don't buy into the, I'm a consultant, I can do it for you. So you have to come up with a methodology or an approach or whatever you want to call it that differentiates you from everybody else, that helps people understand what you bring to the table that somebody else doesn't bring to the table. And that's the methodology approach. The other side of it is you have to know more than bare minimum your customers and hopefully know more than your competition. And then thirdly, that's the awareness piece, which again, we're not really touching on, but you've got to figure out a way to create awareness around that. So for me, the awareness was done early, right? I started blogging and I focused on that and I paid attention. And every day I got another read, another read. And I got up to over 20,000, 30,000 readers a month. Then, but I also think, then I said, okay, well, if I'm getting these reads, I better produce content that they don't know. Like I got to give them something they're unaware of. I got to educate them. I got to want them coming back because they feel like they learn something every time. Right. So, and then when I came to the consulting room, I said, I take all the stuff I don't know, but I have a methodology that's going to maximize 
the probability that this will be successful for you. So you put all three of those together and you got a winning formula. Gotcha. So how are you, like you're using your blog, you're using social media, you're using different channels to create awareness as you kind of alluded to. But if you had to pick one strategy that lands you the most clients, whether it be inbound or outbound content. or how it is, content. So content marketing oh, no, for you is by far the channel. I don't know. Distribution channels are only matter to the content first, distribu- distribution channel second. So you're getting way more yes. inbound. You're not out there proactively necessarily outreach. You're doing a lot more. You're getting a lot more inbound inquiries and then you're filtering them and qualifying and picking the ones that you think make the most sense and you can deliver the most value. Yes. In the seven and a half years that this company has been around, I do not believe I have sold or even attempted to sell a single close. It's the best word. Close a single outbound deal. The entire thing has grown and built on inbound. Hallelujah. All right. Perfect. All right. Great. So along the way, you know, before we dive into that whole product value, building value and all that, that we're going to touch on here for sure. Before we do that, If you had one lesson that you learned along the way building this successful consulting business, and you could share one lesson that you've learned, that if you could go back, you could kind of do it over or you'd get a do-over, what would that be so the audience can try to learn in advance from mistakes that we've all made? Do-over? Yeah, if there's one thing, one big lesson you learned and since launching your consulting business, what would it be? Uh, Pick your employees right. The people, mm. the people. We're growing. So I can't, there hasn't been any, you know, seminal event that like, we, that set us back and we had to climb out. Like we've been growing every year for seven years. And I mean, so there's really not one big thing. Like, yeah, I guess, I guess the people. The so people. finding the right Make talent, sure I, finding the right talent. Yes, but not, yes, but not just talent. They got to be more than just talented. They, they got to have the right mentality. They got to have the right attitude. They got to have the right commitment levels. It's more than just the talent. You got to find the right people, holistic people. And that they kind of fit into your culture of how you envision the company growing long-term, right? I mean, obviously they could be very talented, but if they don't fit into the culture, it's going to be a no-go eventually. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't even say yes. Yes. But I think all that circles the wagon. I would say to be committed, to be perfectly frank, finding people who are fucking committed is a joke. Literally. People think they're committed. They try to be committed. They want to be committed. But the truth at the end of the day, they're rarely are people truly committed to delivering to what they commit to do. And let's keep this real, people. When you accept a job and someone says, I'm going to pay you $50,000, $100,000, $200,000 a year, that's an agreement. And part of that agreement is I commit to pay you if you commit to deliver. And when people don't deliver or complain about delivering or complain about things and they don't deliver... You're not holding up your end of the bargain. And so finding people who I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how long you've been doing. It's a simple question. Did you deliver and are you delivering? And if not, fix it or don't say you'll do it and get out. And finding people who are truly committed, who truly embrace and have passion for what they do and how they do and pride in their work is not easy. No, I totally agree. I think finding those people is definitely like a needle in a haystack. You know, I've went through the same challenges over the last 20 years. And that's when I say talent, I don't necessarily mean their skill set. I mean people that are a good fit, well-rounded, not just from the not from a skill perspective, but from a commitment perspective, from a cultural perspective. So I'm glad you hit on that because that's really important. I think people, you know, there's a little, you know, there's different definitions of commitment. And I obviously understand yours much better now. So awesome. Thank you very much. All right. So let's dig in here. Okay. 
Let's talk about, you know, that number one reason why, you know, clients are not buying from most businesses. The number one reason, and I know you were talking about product value and how that kind of, that was the big component of it. So can you expand on that a little bit? Talk to us a little bit about why you think that is, and then also how people can actually, you know, increase that or demonstrate the value better so that they do get more clients. Yeah, look, I think I think it starts with a lot of people in the business don't really have a really, really good understanding or clear understanding from their prospects point of view, from their target markets point of view of the problems in the, the day-to-day current environment or current state of the people they sell to. So they create all these products and services with these bells and whistles because they, i.e. the person making them think they're really cool, but they don't really understand how they impact the buyer. And when I mean impact, I don't mean the technical side. It does this and it does that. How does that technical feature or how does that feature play itself out in the world of the person buying it? What's the impact, the second, third, and fourth layer of impact? And is that impact worth it? Right? Because at the end of the day, nobody buys a car for a car. And everybody thinks people buy a car to get places. No, people don't buy a car to get places either. People buy a car based on the impact of getting somewhere or the impact of not getting somewhere or the impact of taking too long to get somewhere. And we got to understand those impacts. I don't think enough people truly understand the impact. So can you share with us, I mean, as you work with clients, I'm sure this is a topic that you talk about regularly, right? As you come into a new client and you're evaluating their products and services and their sales staff and everything in between, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about how you go about that? Or is there some sort of steps or framework that the audience could use, you know, to try to take that and morph it for their own business so that they can, whether it be, you know, better understand and better demonstrate the value? I mean, can you, do you understand my point there? Do you know where I'm going with that? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is you got to stop trying to demonstrate your value. Because at the end of the day, value isn't anything you can demonstrate. Value is something you have to get agreement on. Value is not a thing. We, you know, I'm using it here and I watch pundits walk around and talk about value, value. The reason we keep screwing up is no one has really understood that value is not a thing. Value is an agreement. And so you have to get your customer, your prospect to agree there is value. So in order to do that, you need to understand their world and you need to start with them and stop focusing on you. So one of the things I have is a, what I call a pick, right? P-I-C, problem identification chart. And what I do is I tell people, okay, I want you to start, envision three columns. One column says the problem, another one is the impact, the last one is the root cause. And I want you, I say to my customers and, and folks, I say, you tell me, I want you to list three problems, five problems, I don't care, we'll start with one. One problem, one major problem that your product or service solves, okay? And it's amazing how difficult they have with that. Like I'll say to people, uh, okay, I'll say to people, hey, you sell a phone, pretty cool phone. Let's just say I'm making this up. Let's say I'm talking to Apple, I'm like Apple, Great phone. Fantastic. Name one problem it solves. And they'll say, they can call people. That's not a problem. That's not a problem. Tell me a problem, right? And it takes them a few minutes, but eventually they'll turn around and say, the inability to call a family or friend when something goes wrong. Okay, that's a problem. I can get my arm around that. So then when they put the problem in there, then I say, okay, what's the impact of that problem existing, right? So then I force them to write a bunch of things down. And using this cheesy, corny example, they might say that they're lost and can't get somewhere. And therefore, they're late. 
They may say that something has happened to somebody and they need that person to know so they can help uh, help them or solve them or help keep them from getting in trouble. Another one might be simply that they've had a, a disagreement and they don't want to lose their relationship. So they, the impact is they could lose the relationship because they can't tell them I'm sorry and tell them I love them, right? These are all impacts. So therefore, when you get to the impact layer, now I'm buying the phone, not because I can't call somebody. I'm buying the phone because I want to make sure that I can tell someone I love them. If we get in a fight, I, I'm buying the phone for a sense of security and peace of mind that if I get lost, someone can help me out. That if I need something, someone is there for me. I'm not disconnected. That's why I'm buying the phone, right? Yes. And then you go to what's the root cause? Why do those problems exist? Well, the problem exists is because there's no other way to communicate besides a phone. The problem exists is because they're using a landline and the person's in the street. And if they can't get to a landline, they can't get to them. So it's too much of a delay. The problem exists because, I don't know, and you, and you figure out why they can't communicate with somebody. You go back to the first part, right? Why they can't communicate. And then you list all the reasons why someone can't communicate. And guess what? Your product's a solution should solve those issues. And now you've got a full value life cycle. Gotcha. So then you take that basic discovery that you just put down on paper, that exercise that, you know, that- That's not a discovery. That's, you do that to yourself inside your organization. You sit down with your marketing and product development and everything and say, what problems do each of our products solve, what our services solve, whatever. And you go through that line item by line item. Problem number one, impact, root cause. Problem number two, impact, root cause. And you, you map that against the services and products you create. Okay, great. And so creating that value from the back end, from a product development and from even a marketing perspective, that makes total sense. How as a salesperson or as a part of a sales process where you have a salesperson or an SDR or account executive or somebody selling to a client, how does that translate there? Is that where you come in in regards to like translating between the product side and the sales guys, so they actually demonstrate, or they demonstrate a bad word, whether they prove that value or they get agreement on that value? Yeah, you, well, okay, you, you start with getting agreement on the problem, right? You go right, right back to it. So what I work with, so first off, you gotta make sure that everybody agrees that the products you solve, I mean, sorry, the problems you solve, you solve them well and they're valuable, and you look at the impacts. And if you believe the impacts are substantial and you know you can solve them, they're valuable, then now you know that your target market is anybody who has those problems. Okay. So then what I teach salespeople to do and marketing to do is I say, now build your entire marketing platform and build your selling process based around problem finding, being a problem finder. So rather than sending out stupid emails that says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about our cool SaaS app that does this, this, and this, you flip the script and you send out an email or you make a cold call or whatever that says, hey, are you struggling with these problems? Or I'd like five minutes of your time to talk about how list the problem, right? Your inability to communicate can affect your relationship with your children. Your inability to communicate can create an unnecessary risk of you getting lost or you getting hurt. I liked about how we can solve that. If any person has that problem, they want to talk to you. Gotcha. No, that makes perfect sense. No, I just wanted you to connect the dots there. That was very, very helpful. I appreciate it. All right, great. So now go ahead, continue. No, no, go. That's good. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Mm -hmm. Perfect. All right. So Now that we've established that, let's kind of pivot towards, I guess, sales training in general. Okay. I have a question here and then we'll kind of move forward. You know, I've probably read in my career a hundred sales books, probably much like you. But what I've found is that the majority of the sales training out there is really all the same 
it's just a slightly different voice, a slightly different set of anecdotes or, you know, or analogies or it's, there, it's all relatively the same. Okay. What do you do that's different that really differentiates you and is allowing you to grow so rapidly in your consulting business? I mean, what's the thing that you're doing differently from a sales perspective that other people or trainers are just really missing the mark? I'm just curious as a student myself of sales. So, okay. So you, you kind of, cry. okay. So there's two things going on here. The first one is I'm not, a, well, I wasn't a sales training company and technically speaking, I'm just now becoming a sales training company within the last three months. So I just, I'm in the finishing phases of publishing a book called Gap Selling and then launching Gap Selling Training on the heels of it. I've done a handful of them so far to rave reviews. Um, So up until now, I wasn't a training company. I was strictly a consulting and recruiting firm. So to to answer your question, what made me grow so fast, how we've done so well, et cetera, is I believe that it's how we break down a sales organization. I believe that the only way to be successful in identifying what's wrong with the sales organization is you have to look at one of four things or any combination thereof. Is the sales strategy sound? If it is not, then you got to fix it. Then does the sales structure support the sales strategy? And if it does not, then you need to fix it. Then do you have the right people to execute against the sales strategy and sitting in the appropriate structure? So right people in the right roles and can they deliver? And then finally, do you have the right processes in place that allow the salespeople, the people in the roles in the right structure, executing against the strategy to do their job efficiently and effective and to reinforce the strategy and the culture of the organization. And it starts looping on itself. And so we built the entire consulting methodology around that. So when I go in and I look at an organization, I start with the strategy, then I go to the structure, then I go to the people, then I go to the processes. And every time unequivocally, I can find exactly where the problems are and their relationship to the broader picture. And therefore we can develop a new go-to-market strategy or a new sales execution strategy or plan to change and get you to their numbers. Very good. So you're moving, you're kind of pivoting and moving from consulting, not that you're leaving that behind, but now you're going to be offering training. Can you expand on that gap selling, you know, process and training and strategy that you're talking about? Absolutely. And, and to be clear, yeah, we're not pivoting at all. The consulting is going to continue where it is and growing. The consulting is does wildly well for us. But once I realized I was writing the book on gap selling and it's what I was doing with a lot of the people, here's a good example. Training goes under the people prop part. Sales organizations run all the time. They call up consultants and trainers and they want to fix the people part and they think everything's going to be better. Well, not necessarily, because if you get the wrong structure, that's not going to help you out. I don't think you get a bunch of people doing the wrong stuff. It's not going to help you out, right? If they do it really, really well, they're still doing the wrong stuff, right? And or if you have the wrong strategy in place and you have the people who can crush it, you're still going to get it wrong. So so that's that's the consulting piece. The gap selling training piece is this. And you said something that was really interesting. You said most sales books are all the same. And I'd love for you to read the book and come back and tell me if you think mine is the same or not. And uh, it would be fascinating to get your feedback because- I don't think it is. And here's why. Gap selling is based on the assumption, that not even the assumption, the premise that sales is aligned and penned to one thing. It is one thing at the center of sales that most sales training, sales organizations, sales everything miss. And do you know what that is, Dennis? No. Change. Change. Everything else about sales is ancillary or secondary to the single thing sales is built on and it's predicated on and that's change. 
I, as a buyer, decide one day that I think I want to change, I might want to change, I feel I need to change. And it's a salesperson's job to influence that change, right? Okay. You cannot sell anything without change. Can you think of anything you could ever sell without change? No. So, therefore, if it is about change and I'm a change influencer, right, or a change agent, it then begs the question, I have to show someone how to change. And that change is worth it. So in order to do that, I have to compare and contrast two things. What are those, Dennis? What you have now versus what the other thing will what the other thing will deliver for you or help you solve. Amen. Amen. Right there. Right there. Yet almost all sales training focuses on the, the latter part, where you could go, how it could be better. And we don't actually spend more time in the current state. I argue the current state's more important. What's happening? What's going on? Why does it matter? How does it impact you? Why can't you stay that way? And really digging in. And so what happens is here's the deal. Gap selling is the recognition that a sale is based on the size of the gap. Where am I today, current state, versus where do I want to go tomorrow, future state? And the bigger the gap, the more probable the sale and the more value in the sale. The smaller the gap, the less value in the sale. And here's the metaphor I use all the time. You ready, Dennis? Okay. I have a pill that can solve, you have a really, really, really off the charts, blinding headache that's got you on the couch. I've got a pill that can solve that or make that headache go away for $1,000. Do you pay to make it go away? Absolutely. Okay. So you're sitting on your couch on a Sunday and it's blinding and you're going to write a check to me right now for a thousand bucks to make that headache go away. If it's, it depends on how long I've had the headache and how much it hurts. Okay. It will go away in 24 hours. You've only had it for a few hours. You had it since you woke up. You can sit on your couch all day, watch football or whatever. You're going to write me a check for a grand? Not if it just started. No. Okay. And I'm telling you, so now what if I told you that you have um, a, uh, a report, a proposal to finish for a $5 million deal and that, that's worth $50,000 commission to you. Do you fix the headache? Do you pay me $1,000 now? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Will you pay me $200,000 for it? It's going to deliver what value to me? Uh, you're going to have a $5 million deal that's going to be $50,000 commission for you. If it's 15000 in commission and, and I got to pay five hundred, how, how, how much were you asking me to pay for it? I, I think I said five hundred grand. I guess, whatever I said. No, I wouldn't do that. Okay. Now, what if I keep asking you questions and I say, hey, tell me where it hurts. And you said, oh, it hurts in the right side most of the time. I said, how often do you get it? You said, well, I used to get it once a month, but now I seem to be getting it weekly. And then I say, have you ever noticed you're having any motor skill issues? So now the funny you say that, yes, I am getting a few motor skill issues. I say, can I take a picture? You say, yes. I take a picture, i.e. MRI, and I find out you have a malignant brain tumor. You got six months to live. This pill will cure it, but it's going to cost you $500,000. Do you pay it? Yes. Every one of those examples is the same problem. I have a headache. It's a bad headache. What causes you to buy and what creates the gap isn't the headache. It's not the, it's not the problem. It's the impact of the problem. And if I'm not a good salesperson and I can't dig in and understand the impact, I can't move the gap. So the gap, same problem, really bad headache. I can't get off the couch. That's the problem. If I find out that you've got all day to be on the couch, I can't sell that pill for anything more than maybe 50 bucks, right? But if I ask more questions and say, well, what are your kids doing? Where's your wife? What are you doing for work? Do you have to get anything done tomorrow? And I start digging and I start to find out, oh, snap, he does have a proposal done. All of a sudden, now I've got a deal that you're even more inclined to buy and you're going to pay me a thousand bucks for that pill. 
if I keep digging and I find out that even though you're ready to pay me $1,000, but I find out actually a malignant brain tumor and there's more to it than just a headache, now you're going to pay me a half million for it. I've expanded the gap, Dennis, just by spending more time in your current state and not even talking about my freaking pill. Gotcha. No, that makes total sense. So you're probing and asking questions with the objective of trying to understand and draw a picture of the value of that gap. That's part of it, right? Amen. Or to find the gap. Let's find the gap. Finding the gap. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And once I find the gap, it's a simple math equation, right? Not getting the, let's do the, the proposal one. Not getting the proposal done, missing out in whatever I said, $5 million in revenue and $50,000 commission check. And then if, if you're really good, watch what I do here. Well, wait, if you get this, does this mean you go to President's Club? Actually, I would go to President's Club. I didn't even think about that. Boom, I, I just broadened the gap even more. If you get this, does this make you number one in the company? No, it makes me number two, but still it's a five thousand, it's a 3,000 salesperson company. So I'm going to be top dog and be on the stage with the CEO. Hey, by the way, do you have accelerators? Yes. If you get this, you make accelerators. Now that you say that, you're right. I'll get 50,000 for this, but I'm going to be accelerated. So I'm probably going to make another 100,000. See what I'm doing here? Yep. Totally. Yep. It totally makes sense. No one teaches this shit. Nobody teaches that. Well, Keenan does. Why- and when's your book coming out, Keenan? When's the new book coming out? I hate to say this, but pro- I'm going to say January 1. It'll be ready pre-sales in Q4. How about that? Perfect. Pre-sales well, Q4. Well, maybe we'll have you back then to talk about your book in a little bit more depth and particularly as it relates to the release. But today we're going to close it out, but I'm going to ask you two quick questions rapid fire. Number one, what is your favorite growth tool or software? HubSpot. HubSpot. Perfect. Okay. Number two, other than your own book, what's one book that you would recommend the audience read as it relates to whether it be sales, marketing, growth, or otherwise? I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to say Execution by Larry Bossidy and Ram Charan. Awesome. Perfect. Well, listen, hey, Keenan, I really want to thank you for taking the time and delivering as you have today. Before we close out, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn a little bit more about you and what's going on over in your world, and then we'll close it out for today. Yeah, I mean, look, run a search, Jim Keenan. I, I'm getting close to Keenan. I might actually be the top now, but Jim Keenan, the whole first page. And, or you can find me LinkedIn, Keenan dot, because you have to put something in the last name field. At, you can also find me on Instagram. If, let me put it there. If you can't find me, you're not trying. <laughs> Perfect. And I'll put those links. Yeah, salesguy.com. I'll put those links in the show notes and uh, appreciate you being here today. I had a great time. Awesome. Look forward to hearing more of your videos on LinkedIn. Have an awesome day and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, baby. Appreciate it. See you, man. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.